Hello, and welcome to Upbeat Live. I'm Sarah Cahill, and tonight we're going to see and hear Die Stadt ohne Juden, The City Without Jews, a silent film from 1924 with a score by Olga Neuwirth. Matthias Pincher is conducting a chamber group of musicians from Ensemble Intercontemporain, the excellent new music ensemble founded by Pierre Boulez in 1976, which commissions and performs works by some of the world's finest composers and does extraordinary work through touring and educating uh, and education and supporting its brilliant musicians. You'll have another chance to hear Pincher conduct Neuwirth's work this weekend with the LA Phil, a piece which the New York Times calls a big, brash, brilliant showpiece, continuing in the raucous line of Stravinsky's Rite of Spring and Verez's Amérique. And by the way, tonight's performance is enhanced by the fact that Neuwirth and Pincher have been close friends for 30 years. They have a mutual respect as composers and collaborators. Let's talk first about the silent film, The City Without Jews, based on a popular 1922 book by the same name. The author was Hugo Bettauer, an Austrian writer and journalist, who wrote it as a satiric commentary against anti-Semitism after World War I. In his book, Vienna is plagued by inflation and unemployment, and somebody needs to be blamed, so a handful of politicians decide to announce that the only solution is banishing the Jews. After the expulsion, the Viennese come to realize that the economy is just as bad as it was before. The banks are in trouble, they have no culture, theaters are going bankrupt, and they finally invite the Jews back into Vienna, and all is well. The City Without Jews sold more than a quarter of a million copies in its first year and was translated into several languages. But of course, this allegorical vision of the near future was too prophetic. Bettauer, the writer, was murdered by a member of the Nazi party in 1925, only months after his book was made into a film, the film we're seeing tonight. And the killer, by the way, got a brief sentence in a mental hospital, and then was released. Uh, we have to remember that the Jewish population in Austria was concentrated in Vienna, around 200,000 people, including many leading figures in arts and culture. And even in the early 1920s, anti-Semitism was very much present and building support. It was all too common for Jews to be attacked in the streets, and discriminated against at work. So Bedauer's book was far from fantasy, even if it was incredibly prophetic for its time. The filmmaker Hugo Breslauer then decided to make a film from Bedauer's story. But instead of naming the city Vienna, he calls it Utopia in his film. It's a sort of fictional utopia, and the Jews are banished to a place called Zion. Now, of course, we see this film in light of the Holocaust. So watching the footage of the banished citizens being forced out of their homes, families being ripped apart and loaded into cattle cars, taken away on trains, it's incredibly chilling. And it's also chilling to witness a few politicians who think 
their answer to their problems is to target a group of people for persecution. These are such familiar themes today here in the United States as well as in Austria. In this film, we see protests over inflation, devastating income inequality, intolerance, the rise of the Christian right, and politicians who say, I'm a friend of the Jews and admire their qualities, an actual line from the film, but who use fear and divisive rhetoric, rhetoric to stir up a crowd and turn them into bigots. It's also amazing to watch the film and think of what happened to the actors. Johannes Reimann, who plays the film's Jewish hero, Leo, he's the one who turns things around and gets the Jews invited back to Vienna. The actor Reimann joined the Nazi party in the 1930s and was honored by Joseph Goebbels with an award in 1939. He later performed at a cabaret show for the staff of Auschwitz in 1944. And also the director of the film, Hugo Breslauer, would later join the Nazi party and make propaganda films for them. On the other hand, the actor Hans Moser, who plays the anti-Semitic counselor Bernhardt in real life, stood up to the Nazis, refusing to divorce his Jewish wife during Hitler's regime. The film itself has a fascinating story. It was shown for the last time before the war in Amsterdam in 1933 as a protest against Hitler's rise to power. That copy wasn't found again until 1991, at which time it had disintegrated and was incomplete. For a long time, only an abridged version of this film was available. Uh, the overtly anti-Semitic scenes had been deleted and that abridged version was seen by a young Olga Neuwert. She, uh, she was studying film as well as music in her youth. And then in 2015, miraculously, a copy of the whole film in excellent condition was discovered in a flea market in Paris. Love stories like this. The Austrian film archives organized a crowdfunding campaign to save the film because it was on nitrate, highly unstable and needed to be restored immediately. More than 700 people contributed, a total of about $107,000, with donations to the campaign doubling after a far-right candidate almost won in Austria, and an American Jewish foundation gave a large sum the day after Donald Trump was elected president. Only yesterday at the same concert hall, at this concert hall, we heard John Adams' Girls of the Golden West, uh, which also focuses on mob violence and how people react in the surge of a crowd doing horrifying things which they would never consider on their own as individuals. And that opera was staged right around the same time in 2017, when nationalism and anti-immigrant racism were gaining in both the United States and in Europe. It took a few years to restore the film, and then Olga Neuwirth was approached by the Vienna Concert House to compose a new score for the world premiere of the restored version of the movie. In her 20s, she had read Hugo Bettauer's book, which she called Incredibly Clairvoyant and Visionary, 
and she had seen the unrestored version of the silent film. But she initially said no, she was working on her opera Orlando based on Virginia Woolf's novel, and also she didn't think she could do justice to the film in the time she was allotted. But then she says, as often as the case in small Vienna, I accidentally bumped into Hans Hursch, head of the Vienna Biennale in the street. He told me that despite my doubts, I should write the music and that he believed in me. He was so persistent and persuasive that I withdrew my refusal. This is why my music for the film is dedicated to Hans Hirsch, who died unexpectedly. She says she began by analyzing the film frame by frame to see in detail how it's constructed. Neuwirth herself is an Austrian Jew and has been involved in politics and human rights since she was a teenager. Her music often pushes boundaries. She thinks fluidly about genres so that a composition might include a chamber ensemble, electronics, video, fragments of speech, an installation, elements of jazz. She doesn't feel limited by conventional categories. She also is less inclined to use concert instruments in conventional ways and more interested in creating new sound worlds, new combinations of timbres and sonorities. This film clearly affected her profoundly. She says, when I was writing the score, I had to suppress my rage or else the film would have had music, which is just an expression of my fury. We're going to listen to just a little bit of Neuwirth's piece, Masaot, Clocks Without Hands, which the LA Phil is performing this weekend with Matthias Pincher conducting, just as an example of how she evokes sounds of another era. The title is Hebrew for Travels, her Jewish grandfather's travels. And in this clip, you hear a fragment of an Eastern European Jewish song which pays homage to her grandfather. And this piece is also an homage to Gustav Mahler. That was her assignment for this work. You hear how pitch is fluid, and also it's not always discernible what is going on. There's a powerful element of mystery. Let's just listen to a little bit of the beginning. Thank you. 
So it's very interesting. It's sort of like fragments of memory. It's not an actual song. It's just like recollections from the past. That's the Vienna Philharmonic. And it's amazing that she explores her Jewish heritage so intensely in her hometown of Vienna when she points out that Austria never invited the Jews to return after World War II, as even Germany did. This is a small ensemble tonight in the performance. Clarinet, saxophone, trumpet, trombone, percussion, piano, guitar, viola, and cello, all amplified, accompanied by electronics. Neuwirth had initially been asked to write for a large orchestra, but resisted that idea as too potentially romantic. And this small ensemble gives her more flexibility. She pushes the limits and the ranges of the instruments to explore their sonic possibilities. So you hear them at the extremes of their ranges and their dynamic extremes. So the saxophone might be instructed to play a trill with fluctuating intonation, or the electric guitar plays with distortion, or with an ebo, or the strings play high harmonics by barely touching their instruments and sometimes sliding up and down the strings. She thinks of how a trombone might express weeping or a trumpet might cry out. The brass and winds also breathe into their mouthpieces with no pitch. The percussionist plays cowbells, bass drum, thunder sheet, bowed styrofoam, gongs, an electric milk foamer, tam-tam, and lots of other instruments. The synthesizer has a range of keyboard sounds from old time honky-tonk piano to church organ to accordion. And this gives her the uh, range of sounds that she requires, she really wants for this score, um, sort of limitless possibilities. The players, even within this small group of, of musicians, limitless possibilities. The players are asked sometimes to play a quarter tone above or below a particular pitch, so we hear some microtonality in this score, and it has a certain, the score has a certain amount of openness and freedom, but is also very specifically notated. We'll listen to one other clip of Neuwirth's music just to show the amazing ambiguity she creates. It's often hard to discern which instruments are playing. They're used in unusual ways and pitched in combination with each other so that they um, they merge together to create a kind of web of sound. And instead of trying to unravel the various strands, one needs to just listen with open ears and bask in her creation. This is a movement from Remnants of Songs, Thank you. 
She's an amazingly prolific composer as well. She has, um, I encourage you to, to go on, online or buy her recording. She's uh, pretty extraordinary. Uh, back to her score for The City Without Jews. She explains that she also uses uh, in this score tonight fragments of Austrian yodels, which she alters and distorts electronically. They're part of the sample layer that runs throughout the film, but they also show up sometimes in individual instruments, instrumental parts. And also a few excerpts from drinking songs, Austrian drinking songs sung by Hans Moser, who we remember uh, is the actor who plays the anti-Semite Rat Bernhardt in the film. The clarinet plays a melancholy klezmer tune, and the saxophone recalls a song of the Vienna Salon. There's also a more recent quote from a song used at right-wing populist election rallies recently in Austria. And throughout the score, Neuwehr includes these reminders that this isn't just a historical film, it's an urgent message to us in the present day. But for the most part, she avoids directly representing each scene. She doesn't do it in the way we often experience when we hear soundtracks to silent film scores or we see a, you know, a pianist playing a, 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 a film score where, to a silent film where someone goes up the stairs and then they play like boom, 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 or something, or like a dog barking or a car horn or something. You don't, uh, Olga Neuver doesn't go through scene by scene and represent those scenes but she, uh, um, it's not representational in that way, but it comments on and conjures up the past and also raises the specter of the near future. There may be no better music for this apocalyptic vision than a searing soundscape and sometimes complete silence, just leaving the image on the screen as if there's no music which is adequate enough. So there's this intense silence sometimes in this score tonight. Many of you probably know the book On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder, subtitled 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. The idea of that book is to be vigilant and always alert to the signs of fascism, intolerance, and authoritarianism. Olga Neuvert says of her score for City Without Jews, the parallels are plain. Toxic language is begetting hatred now as then. This will be an extraordinary experience because we're hearing music by a very important living composer. We're seeing Matthias Pincher in his last season with Ensemble Intercontemporain. We're seeing a recently restored powerful expressionist film from 1922. We're hearing a fabulous group of musicians, and we might also be thinking of our own pivotal moment here in 2023 and what we can learn from this film and from Olga Neuwirth and from history. So thank you very much. Are there any questions or comments? People who have, yes.
Can you repeat that? Uh-huh. The uh, electronics are pre-recorded, but some are triggered by, as I understand it, a synthesizer. I've only seen the score. I haven't seen a... Has anyone here seen Ensemble Inter Contemporain perform this score? I haven't seen uh, them perform it, but the score says that there's a synthesizer triggering particular samples as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the question is um, Olga Neuver being so outspoken against uh, the, the right wing of, of Austria and um, anti Semitism. How is, she, how is she faring? I, as far as I know, she's thriving, but I, I don't know. I am amazed that she is so, uh, that she has addressed those concerns so intensely in, in Vienna itself, and that they seem to commission her and, and want her to, to do that. But um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. Yeah. I think there were two. I think the the woman who plays the uh, there's there's a maid who I think did go to a concentration camp. Yes, um, but I I think it's very interesting that the the hero of the film who arranges for Jews to come back, um, who sort of, who leaves, has to leave the country because he's a Jew. Then he sneaks back in, disguises himself with a mustache, and, um, and puts up um, signs that say this is a Christian organization saying that the Jews should come back. And so then people come back to his side. But that I, I think it's interesting that he was actually, the actor was a member of the Nazi party and the, the, one of the prominent anti-Semites in the film was actually, you know, stood up to the Nazis. It's, a, it's an interesting story about this film. Yeah. 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 Was there an original score to this film? Was there an original score? I don't think there was, but in 2019, which was when you're talking about, there was, there was a version that was discovered in 2019, and then there was a composer who wrote for that version. Uh, and I don't know much about that, but that is online, so it's a little confusing because there's a score, there was a score composed for the 2019 version, which you say you saw. Oh, ni I'm sorry, 1991, yes. Um, and that, the, that has a different ending, and um, a lot of the sort of more, um, more prominent anti-Semitic scenes were removed, had been removed from the film. So uh, this is the first score. 
This score was commissioned, and as I understand, it was the anniversary of Kristallnacht, for which it was commissioned, for which Olga Neuwert was commissioned to write this score, uh, for the premiere of the restored version of the film. Yeah, so this is, this is the first, it's the first score. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.